Good to see you. How are you guys doing? Excited to be here? Anybody excited about country night? Any country music people? Oh, yeah, great. Phew, great. Awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, uh, before I get started uh, today, I want to give you a look ahead next week. We're beginning a, a new series. Really excited about this. It's based on the, the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's called uh, New uh, You, these nine qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. And uh, going to be a great series. Going to improve our relationships and help us follow Jesus better. And just help you become the best version of you. Going to be a powerful series. And I uh, hope that you'll uh, be here and bring somebody uh, with you. All right, today we're wrapping up. Uh, this series called You Ask For It. If you're new, we circulated a survey several months ago. We said if you could ask, G- if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And you turned in hundreds and hundreds of questions. We started answering those a few weeks ago. We started out with a difficult question about suicide. And, and we answered questions about heaven. And then uh, last weekend we got into politics and the Trinity and even dinosaurs. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you missed any of those talks, go to our website, our mobile app, and you can watch any of them. And now this week, we're dealing with the number one question, the most popular, the most commonly asked uh, question, and it's a difficult one. Here's the question that you wanted me to deal with this week. Uh, why, does God allow, uh, why does God allow evil, pain, and suffering in the uh, world? Now, to be honest, it didn't surprise me at all that this is the number one question. A few years ago, they did a national survey, and they asked the question, if you could ask God any question and you knew he would answer, what would you ask him? And this was the number one question uh, nationally. Now, one statistical quirk about that uh, study is that married people were more interested in wanting to know why they're suffering than non-married people. I don't know why that is. I don't really want, want to know uh, why that is, but uh, an interesting uh, result. You know, it'd be nice if we could have this uh, discussion today about why there's pain and evil and suffering on an academic level, on a theoretical level, on a philosophical uh, level, and talk about why are there 9-11s and uh, why are there events like what happened in Orlando last year or last week in London? Why are there children starving in the world? be nice if we could talk about those things in a theoretical or academic level. But for many of us, this question just hits us in the gut. It hits us on a personal level. We want to know, why am I experiencing pain and suffering and evil in, in my life. The question that comes up for us is the why question, right? Why did my parents divorce? Why did I grow up in a home with a- abuse? Why mental illness? Why a miscarriage? Why did the only person that ever really loved me leave me and abandon me? Why did my loved one get cancer? I mean, there's nobody better than than them. Why questions? Because pain takes on a whole different level when it's my pain, when it's my suffering, when it's my marriage, when it's it's my kids, when it's my family, and and it's my hurt. Well, first of all today, I want you to know it's okay to ask why. You know, even Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he asked why. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes people who follow Jesus, they think it's wrong to ask why. And so we come to church with a smile on our face and we pretend like, you know, everything's okay and we, and we cover it up. But 
that's not, that's not us at River Glen. We're committed to wrestling with the tough questions. And, of course, this question raises some really troubling questions about God. Is God powerless to do anything about this stuff and to change it? Is God indifferent? Did God just create everything and then he just kind of steps back and lets it go and he stays uninvolved? Is God to blame? Is God the one causing the pain, the evil, the, the, the suffering? Well, I want you to know up front, God doesn't want people to, to suffer. This verse from Lamentations is an example of that where it says, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. You know, that says it doesn't come from God. God wants the highest good for people. And so if that's what he wants, where does suffering come from? Well, some of our suffering that we experience just comes as a result of our own sin. It's uh, because of our poor choices. I mean, if you cheat on your spouse and your spouse wants a, a divorce, I mean, there's no mystery why they want a divorce, right? If you don't exercise and eat in unhealthy ways, it's no mystery why you experience health challenges. If I'm a workaholic and I don't engage with my children, it's no mystery why they're detached from me. Some of our pain and suffering, we can't shake our fist at God. We just need to look in the mirror. Some suffering is a result of our own poor choices. Number two, sometimes our suffering is the result of other people's uh, sin. If the person that you're dating betrays you, if the person that you're married to abuses you, if your kids reject you and go down a road of self-destruction, you feel pain, you feel hurt because of someone else's sin. Sometimes we look at famine in other parts of the world, and we wonder, you know, where is God while children starve and, and, and die? But it's not God's fault. Did you know that our earth produces enough food for every person on this planet to consume over 3,000 calories a day? It's because of selfishness and indifference that prevents people from getting, getting fed. Let's, let's be honest. We're not as good as we think that we are. A lot of suffering comes from human selfishness and sin. And then third, some suffering is the result of Satan's attacks. While Satan has limited power, this world is his domain. This is his territory. Scripture tells us that Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. For example, in the Old Testament, we read about Job. Job lost everything. All ten of his kids died, and he experienced intense physical suffering simultaneously. But it wasn't because of his sin, and it wasn't because of someone else's sin. It was a direct attack from Satan. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul calls his physical problem a thorn in the flesh from Satan. And so God didn't cause that to happen to Paul and to Job. Satan did it. But here's the reality that you need to understand. Most suffering comes because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken a world, a world that is, that is out of sync. We live in a Murphy's Law kind of world. If something, if something can go wrong, you know, it will go wrong. I read about a woman who went on a ski trip with her husband to Utah, and she realized she needed to use the bathroom, but there, there wasn't a bathroom nearby and so her husband suggested that since she's wearing a white snowsuit, that she just go over into the tree line because she would be camouflaged over there in the snow and she could take, take care of business over there. And so she headed for the tree line and she dropped her ski pants and she, uh, she, she was doing her thing. 
But if you've ever parked on a ski slope, you know there's a right way and there's a wrong way uh, to position your skis when you're on a hill if you want to stop. And she positioned her skis the wrong way. And she started going down the hill backwards with her pants down below her knees. Somehow she avoided the trees and the tree line. She comes out of the tree line, creating an interesting vista for the other skiers. She crossed over to another slope under a ski lift until finally she hit a pylon and she broke her arm. And she ended up in the emergency room. While she's in the emergency room, this guy, there's another guy who comes in who's got a broken leg. And so she tries to make some small talk. She says, how'd you break your leg? He says, it was the strangest thing. He said, I was going up the ski lift. All of a sudden, there's this crazy lady who came down skiing backwards with her, with her pants down and her bare butt out. He said, I leaned over to try to get a better look. And I guess I leaned too far and I fell out of the ski lift. I broke my leg. He said, how'd you break your arm? We live in a fallen world, right? A broken world. And as Philip Yancey says, don't confuse life with God. Don't confuse your circumstances with God. Some of you wonder, well, why didn't God create a perfect world for us? And the answer to that question is he did. He created a, a, a good world. Everything was, was good. And in this perfect world, he gave to human beings like Adam and Eve and like us, he gave us free will, free choice. I'll never forget about two years ago, I had a chance to travel to New York City and I got to tour the 9-11 uh, Museum and Memorial. And visiting that location, it makes you think about pain and suffering and free will, free choice. I remember thinking to myself uh, that 9-11, on 9-11, we saw free will at its worst when terrorists flew those airplanes into some of our greatest buildings and took innocent lives. But on that day, we also saw free will at its best as first responders went running up those stairs in the World Trade Center building while others ran down for their lives. The first responders had the choice to not go up the stairs, uh, but they chose to go up those steps knowing that it, would, that it would lead to certain death in order to save others. And that's why we remember them as uh, heroes. But maybe you wonder, why did God give us free choice if it would lead to so much pain, to so much suffering in our world? It's because God is love, and, and, and we know you can't really love somebody if you don't have the choice to love or not love. I mean, I don't want my wife Marnie to love me and to be faithful to me because she's computer programmed, you know, by God to love me. Her love is meaningful to me because she has the freedom to choose me, to, to not choose me, but she chooses me, and I'm so grateful for her love. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible, think about this, any love or goodness or joy worth having. Ponder that. I think that's a great quote. Love and joy and goodness are only possible because of free will, because of the free choice that God gives us. But God also knew that with free will, trouble might enter the world. And that's exactly what happened. If we go back all the way to the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve exercised free will to sin and it changed the world. That's why we live in a world with, with famine and droughts and fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and diseases and 
polluted air and contaminated water. Sin threw the whole world out of sync, out of order. That's why the same knife that you use to cut bread can cut your finger off. The same hurricane that can destroy a drug house, can destroy a church building. And the force of gravity that keeps me on earth will not be suspended if I point my skis in the wrong direction going down a ski slope. Jesus was honest about this. He, he said that we would have tough times. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, I can't tell you specifically why you've had to endure certain things in your life. Even when Jesus asked why on the cross, did he get an answer? Yeah, but not right away. And that may happen to us. I'll tell you, the, the longer I work as a pastor and the longer that I follow Jesus, I increasingly get better at saying three words. I don't know. I don't know why, why some people are endlessly unemployed. I don't know why, why, why some people die at a young age. I don't know why sons and daughters get abused in homes where they should be loved. There's so many things I don't know. I just don't know. But I heard someone who's been through a very difficult time say that even if you had the answer to the why, you still have to deal with the what. Think about that. You know, even if Jesus had the answer to why have you forsaken me in that moment on the cross, he still had to deal with the what. He still had to die on the cross. At some point, you got to deal with the what. And so when you or someone you love has to deal with the what, there are several promises that I want to share with you today that I hope will encourage you. And maybe you'll write some of these down. First of all, remember, you're not alone. Now, it may feel like this. It may feel like, you know, I'm alone and there's no help for 150 miles. Yeah, this is not a very encouraging road sign here, is it? But Jesus says we're never alone. John chapter 14, he said God's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with us as a comforter. Scripture also talks about how God will give us peace that passes understanding, which means you can't explain it because it's a supernatural peace. You ever watch somebody go through just horrible suffering, and you look at them, and you think, I could never handle that. You know, I've watched people bury children. I can't imagine any, any pain greater than that. Uh, I can't imagine burying one of my kids. I think I could never do that. I've watched some of you bury a spouse. I can't imagine that level of pain. I would be inconsolable. But I've done funerals uh, for, for people burying children and, 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 and burying a, or burying a spouse, and they had an incredible strength in that moment. I could tell you story after story of followers of Jesus in this church and that I've, I've known in my lifetime who found strength when they needed it, when they thought they couldn't take another step and they needed God the most, God was there for them. And he gave them the strength to deal with it. I don't have the strength to deal with it in my life right now. I know that I don't. But I trust if and when I needed it, God would give it to me at that moment. He, he doesn't give it to me now, but, I, but he will give it to me when I need it. And he's giving it to some of you right now. Let me, let me remind you of just some unbelievable promises in scripture. This is God's word right to your heart. This is from Isaiah 43. When you go through the deep waters, he says, God says, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will, will not consume you. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, in the New Testament, if we get the next slide, God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And then in Isaiah chapter 49, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. God says, I've written your name on the palms of my hand. And so remember, when you're standing at the graveside of somebody that you love, God is with you. You're not alone. When you're at the hospital and you're waiting for test results, you're not alone. God is with you. He goes with you through the deep waters. He goes with you through the, through the fire. You're not alone. He's with you. Second, remember, God knows how you feel. There's something strengthening about talking with someone who's been through what you're going through. Allow me to paraphrase probably the most well-known scripture in the Bible. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he let go of his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, I don't think there's a parent in this room who would let, let go of a son or daughter knowing they were headed for certain tragedy. What father would walk his uh, daughter down the wedding aisle and give her away and let go of her knowing she headed into a marriage where she would be abused or betrayed? What parent would toss the car keys to a teenager knowing they were headed to a fatal accident? Who would, who would let go? But God loves you so much that he let go of his one and only son knowing that he was headed into a world where Herod would try to kill the little baby. And one of those closest to him would betray him. And he would experience the most painful, excruciating death in history, the crucifixion. And God, yet God let go of his one and only son for you. And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says that God is able to sympathize with us. And we can have confidence when we approach him that we're going to find grace and mercy and understanding. You see, the answer to the question of tragedy and suffering is not an explanation. It's the incarnation. It's the God who took on flesh and came into our world and experienced life and experienced suffering. I don't know about you, but I would have trouble following a God, loving a God who was just disinterested and distant and detached and just kind of watched my suffering from a distance. But we have a God who says, I know how you feel. I... I will enter your world, and I will enter your, your suffering. I love this scripture. Take a look at this scripture about God. It's in Psalm uh, 56. It says, you, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. This says that God has like a, a water bottle in heaven with your name on it, and he's recorded every single tear. And he has entered into every pain, every suffering in your life. He is with us. But you say, nobody knows the, the hell that I'm going through in my home, in my family. God knows. And he's with you. Nobody knows that I'm struggling with this habit, this, this addiction, this hurt. God knows how you feel. No one knows the depression, the fear, the hopelessness that I feel right now. God knows how you feel. He knows. 
Third, in a time of suffering, remember that pain can serve a, a, a purpose. Now, it, it might be hard to see at the moment. It might be a little soon for some of you to, you know, grab onto this. But I hope that you'll hear me out and trust that God can work a, a good purpose in what, in the pain, from the pain that you're going through. I remember uh, many years ago, my daughter Taylor, when she was really little, she's probably about four or five years old, we're in the basement, and I remember I assembled this wooden cart, you know, for our TV and VCR. This was before flat screens. And Taylor uh, decided that it'd be a good idea to jump up on the cart. And so she did, but she lost her balance, and she wobbled, and she fell, and her chin is going right for the edge of the cart. It was like a slow motion moment. No! But she hit hard, big cut, blood gushing. I took one look at it, and I knew that she was going to need stitches, and she was just crying. I remember we, we went to the emergency room at the hospital, and I had to hold her down on the, uh, on the table. And you would have thought I was the meanest, baddest, worst father in history when I allowed them to put a needle in her chin and give her a shot and then take a needle and a thread and, and sew it up. She knew I wasn't the one doing it to her, but she knew that I could have prevented, I could have prevented it. But I had a different perspective than she had. I knew that there was a greater purpose for her pain. Sometimes I wonder if that's not how God sees our pain. A few years ago, they did a survey of refugees of Hurricane Katrina who had been displaced to Houston. And they asked them about that experience that they had been through, how it affected their faith. 4% said their faith in God had diminished. Over 80% of the people said their faith in God had grown and been made stronger than before Katrina. They said they were more grateful these days. They felt God strengthening them through the storm. And the reality is there are many people here at River Glen who would tell you it was through a season of loss. It was through a season of pain that they found their way back to God. They found their way into a deeper relationship with God. I talked with someone this week, Janice Wickman. Maybe some of you know Janice. Janice has gone through several painful losses in her life. Her, her, her mother, her father, her brother, her husband, more recently her son. And she says she doesn't know the reasons for the pain, all the pain and the suffering, but she trusts that God will bring good out of it. And she said this, she said that each loss has made her faith stronger. Many people in this church have gone through pain and suffering, and God used it to grow them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he said, for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. And then he says, we'll never regret that kind of, of, of sorrow. That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Never regret sorrow. Why? Because if the sorrow causes us to seek God, to find God, to go deeper with God, the value of that experience is much greater than whatever pain we experience. God allows, see, God allows pain to come into our lives that he knows will be for our greater good. And so maybe God allows the cancer to teach us to value, to, to, to value the eternal. Maybe God allows a difficult boss to teach us self-control. Maybe God allows a baby that sleeps all day and cries all night to teach us patience. Maybe God allows unemployment to teach us faith. He doesn't cause all things, but he works all things together for good for those who love, love him. God never wastes 
are hurt. Okay, there's one more promise that I want to share with you, and this one, I think it has enormous potential, enormous power in your life if you will embrace it. And, and remember that dark days don't last. Be patient because dark days uh, don't last. Now, I know many of you have, have gone through dark days in your life. Maybe some of you are in some dark days right now. And not for a moment do I want to minimize the level of pain that you're in. But I want to show you this scripture. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to remember the Apostle Paul wrote these words. And he was a guy who knew what it was to be shipwrecked. He was a guy who knew what it was to be beaten and left for dead. A guy who had become a prisoner. A guy who had experienced famine and hunger and sickness. And, and look at what this guy says. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says that while the suffering on earth gets intense for a few years, it pales in comparison to the thousands and millions and billions of years that we'll spend in glory in heaven. Let me try and explain it this way, okay? Let's say that uh, the first day this year is just a terrible day, a horrible day, okay? The worst day of your life, okay? First day of the year. You go to the dentist for a root canal. Halfway through, the anesthesia wears off. And it's just enormous pain. On the drive home, you get in a car accident. You total your car. And worse yet, the, the, the person that you hit is your spouse. Their car is totaled too. All your investments go south. You lose a lot of money. Your kids get sick. It's the worst day you've ever had in your life. Just a horrible Awful, very bad day, okay? But then let's say every day after that for the rest of the year is unbelievable. The second day of the year, okay, you have this great uncle you didn't even know you had. This great uncle passes away and he leaves you $42 million. And then later on this year, you, you uh, are named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And your boss insists that you spend four months on vacation in Hawaii, and you go out to dinner with Ben Davis, and he buys. It's an incredible, amazing year, best year. So this coming New Year's Eve, somebody walks up to you and says, so how has your year been? And you say, it's been an incredible year, best year of my life. And they say, didn't you say that like you got off to a bad start on day one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a bad day, no denying that. It was no good, horrible day. But when I compare that day to the other 364 days, they far outweigh the pain and suffering of that day. Listen, that's what heaven is going to be like. It doesn't deny that you've gone through some pain in this life and how difficult it is. But think about this. After about 3 billion years in heaven with no pain and no evil and no suffering and no tears. If somebody comes up to you and says, how's your life been? You'd say, it's been unbelievable. This place is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. With the Father who loves me and the Son who died for me. I couldn't ask for anything more. It's unbelievable. And they say, didn't you have some tough times when you were down there on earth? And you're like, oh yeah, no denying that. It was, it was really difficult. But when I put it in comparison to eternity, those things were light and momentary compared to this eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, maybe you wonder, well, then why doesn't God just come back? Why doesn't God just come back now? 
and usher us into heaven. Here's why. Because of his love for every person on this planet. Because of his love uh, for you. Maybe this verse from 2 Peter chapter 3 will help you understand where it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to perish, so he's giving more time for everyone to repent. He's given more time. He's holding back the curtain of, of, of time, of, of, of history, so that you, so that everyone can repent. God says, I'm going to allow you to continue to live in this world with pain and, and suffering and, and evil for a little while longer because there's something more important than that right now. And that's something more important is you. That's something more important is a relationship with the God who loves you through Jesus, Jesus Christ. And while some of you here today might be undecided about God, God's not undecided about you. He has chosen to love you, and he patiently waits for you to use your free choice to say, God, I'm coming your direction. God, I'm going to begin loving you back. God, I want to receive the payment that Jesus made on the cross for, for the sins of the world. I want that applied to, to my life. I'm going to begin to follow you. And so he patiently waits for you. You see, if there, you see in reality, if, if God came back right now, some of us, some of you wouldn't be ready. Some of you would miss out on the place that Jesus has been preparing for you for 2,000 years now. And so God patiently waits and holds back the curtain of history. And so let's take a moment right now. Would you bow with me? Let's bow together. Some of you right now, you're, you're in the middle of it. The pain, the grief, the hurt, and suffering, and disappointment. And maybe you just need to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father speak to you today. Maybe you just need to hear him say, you are not alone. I am with you. Maybe you'd be comforted hearing him say, I know how you feel. Because I sent Jesus to experience what you're going through. Maybe you need to hear from him that your pain has a purpose. Be patient and good will come from, come, come from it. Maybe you just need to be encouraged today and hear him say, dark days don't last forever. Be patient. I will more than make it up to you in heaven. Heaven is far greater than you can ever imagine. But maybe today has opened up a wound in your life or maybe it's a wound that is very fresh. We have a prayer team that's It'll be down front here after the service. And if you'd like to pray with someone, just come down front after the service and share with them how they can pray for you. They would, they would be honored to pray for you today. Maybe some of you are ready to talk to someone about taking your next step into a relationship with Jesus. You're so thankful that God's been patient with you. And this could be the most important turning point in your life. Talk to one of the prayer team down front after the service or stop by the connect wall after the service, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to help you. Let me pray for us, and then we have one more song. God, be with my friends in this room today. These brothers and sisters who are in a season of challenge and pain and difficulty in their life. God, may they feel your arm around them today. May you give them the strength that only comes from your Holy Spirit. The strength they, they need moment by moment, minute by minute right now. 
God, I thank you so much that you didn't respond to our pain and suffering that we experience with just a lot of words. You didn't just say, here's a book to read. But you responded with a visit where you entered our pain. And you, who were fully God, became fully human, lived among us. And we're so grateful that you are not a God who is distant and disinterested. We thank you that you've not left us alone. Thank you for being a God who knows how we feel. A God who works all things for good and brings a purpose out of our pain. Thank you for being a God who promises that pain will be over one day and that you have repaired a place for us that is beyond description, beyond our imagination. God, may we never lose hope. And until that day, may we hold on to you and never let go. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you please stand?